This Tin Caps podcast is brought to you in part by Hoopy Insurance Services, our family serving your family since 1981. Visit Hoopy Insurance Services online at hoopy-insurance.com. This broadcast is also brought to you in part by Child's Play Plus. It's their life, and together we can make the most of it. Learn more at childsplayautism.com. We're also presented by Lounge Optical, in your neighborhood with five convenient locations around Fort Wayne. Find out more at longeoptical.com. Plus, we're presented by Star Financial Bank. Head to starfinancial.com to learn more about how Star Financial Bank's traditional values keep them focused on what matters most, their customers and the communities they serve. This podcast brought to you in part by Legacy Heating and Air Conditioning, dedicated to providing the best possible solution for your home or business. Find out more at LegacyHeating.com. And with that, we say greetings from Fort Wayne. And greetings from uh, Oak Park, Illinois, just west of Chicago. Yes, I'm Tin Caps broadcaster John Nolan. And I'm Tin Caps broadcaster Jack McMullen. And Jack, it's nice to hear from you right now. You got to spend one day on the job at Parkview Field last week or a week and a half ago uh, before the staff here went on this indefinite work-from-home leave. So uh, how you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm working from home. Uh, I wish that I was at Parkview Field because that would uh, just mean a little bit of normalcy in life, but it's okay. Uh, You know, while it's 831 uh, where you are, it's 731 here, so I've got another hour to do, you know, who knows what. Our broadcast colleague, Mike Moss, is very partial to the central time zone, so I'm sure in some way right now uh, he's a bit jealous of you. I wholeheartedly agree that that is the best time zone for sports. Uh, You've got Sunday night football coming on at 7 p.m. You can't beat that if it's over by 10 p.m. 11 is a lot more gross than 10. We'll bring in Jack uh, in a moment for some more coverage of different time zone sports consumption. (laughs) Uh, First, just want to say we hope you're hanging in there wherever you may be tuned in from right now. And thanks again to all those who right now are doing their part during this wild time amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. And most notably, thanks to those on the front lines in healthcare, especially our partners over at Parkview Health. But it goes deeper than that, obviously. So uh, whether it's grocery store workers, those working in pharmacies, which includes my mom uh, back in New Jersey, and heck, even if you're just doing your job right now, in a sense, by staying home and washing your hands, thank you. Please keep it up. Uh, you know, we'll get through this together. And meanwhile, just like Major League Baseball, and for that matter, everyone else, uh, the Tin Caps and Minor League Baseball still in limbo. In the big picture, I'm not exactly sure that this is going to count as news, but uh, one piece of information to pass along this afternoon, Minor League Baseball announced that MILB.TV is now free until whenever the season does start. So that means you can stream all 10 caps home games from 2019, plus the majority of road games via MILB.TV or the First Pitch app. And Later on here, we'll go through some of the more memorable games from last season that you know you may want to spend some time uh, re-watching or catching for the first time, perhaps. Ahead of that, though, in lieu of the regular March Madness that we wish we were having right now, the Tin Caps have launched a bracket-style fan vote contest to determine the top player in the franchise's 27-year history, going back to 1993 with the Wizards. So this is a project that Jack and I have worked on, along with the team's digital content manager, Corey Stace. You can vote right now 
as you're listening to this on Twitter. And you can also read more about the contenders in the bracket on tincaps.com. And Jack, now I'm not sure if this uh, counts as Joel Lenardi style uh, bracketology, no Dick Vitale or, or Jay Billis, but let's try to break this thing down. And I'm interested to hear from your perspective as someone who's new to the organization and also as someone who's young enough that some of these guys were playing here in Fort Wayne before you were even born. But I know you were uh, very diligent in, in doing your research. So as you were studying up on these guys, what stood out to you? Yeah, diligent in the research and also seeing these guys in their major league careers, I certainly think that that will not only play into um, my preconceived ideas of them, but also uh, the majority of the voters on Twitter. Uh, you know, looking at Tory Hunter, who won nine gold gloves, uh, you know, you're going to factor in those nine gold gloves as opposed to what he did in Fort Wayne, which we'll get into in a moment. But I, I think what really stood out to me was the the magnitude of what some of these guys did at the highest level. Um, you know, I never really understood uh, how big the pitching triple crown was until Fort Wayne alum Jake Peavy, uh, I read, was one of five pitchers to achieve the pitching triple crown uh, since 2000. So it's little nuggets like that. And you, we've got some other nuggets for some other guys that we'll get to in a moment that uh, you know, it's just that fun factoid to, to keep your, you know, boring day at home a little bit less boring. Yeah, and uh, needless to say, this is subjective when we say the top player in franchise history because we came up with this based off of, as Jack was alluding to, the success that players had in the major leagues. And then that's hard to scale right now when you have some guys who are currently playing, especially uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., who's only one year into his big league career. Trey Turner, still relatively young. We included guys like Malik Smith and, and Fran Miel Reyes, generally speaking, newcomers to the big leagues. And so you don't really know what their career is going to wind up blossoming into or, or not. We Not that we're wishing for it to go that direction. So it wasn't based off of you know who's had the the highest batting average or on-base percentage or OPS in a single season or for a career here at the Class A level. Uh, so, you know, this was an inexact science. Did draw upon WAR, W-A-R, as something of a guideline when trying to stack up big league resumes. But even that isn't the best method because some guys were able to have careers of a, a decade plus compared to others who maybe had, a, you know, a quality season or two but not the same kind of body of work. Plus, uh, this was a footnote in the story on TinCaps.com, but we'll bring it up earlier here in this case. We did not include players who appeared in fewer than 10 games in their TinCaps or Wizards career. So Chris Paddock was a stud for the TinCaps in 2016, now looking like a stud for the Padres, but he only got to pitch in a TinCaps uniform three times before he unfortunately had Tommy John surgery. Another would be Chase Headley back in the Wizards era. He only played in four or five games for Fort Wayne. So even though he had a really solid big league career, just didn't really feel like it was in the, the spirit of a, a fan vote contest to include yeah. those guys who were just flashes in, in the pan. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I have to make this awful uh, reference, but I guess war is good for, um, you know, it's not – it's not uh, absolutely nothing, right? It's, it's good for ranking these guys, and it's good for picking them. 
Yeah, not necessarily a rhetorical question uh, in song form in that sense. Um, all right, Jack, well, what do you say we start to uh, look at this bracket? And spoiler alert, as we record this on the evening of Friday, March 27th, bracket uh, was unveiled earlier today, a 24-hour voting period. It's going to go day by day, just kind of like a March Madness style would. Early on, and you know, who knows, maybe things change overnight. Maybe, uh, I don't know, what time zone would be like 12 hours ahead of us here that they're going to wake up internationally and start. Uh, smashing the uh, smashing the vote buttons on Twitter. <laughs> there has been, we'll, we'll get to it in a bit, there has been a, a movement on Twitter here to get Malik Smith some more love in his 314 matchup against Corey Kluber. But basically, things are going chalk with the exception of the 8-9 pairing. Let's start, though, with the uh, the 116. So, Torrey Hunter as the, the top overall seed and this top player in Fort Wayne franchise history bracket matched up against uh, the Cinderella story of Fran Emil Reyes. What do you think there? Yeah, well, not much of a Cinderella, and I, I kind of do feel like Wolf Blitzer right now, and I'm just calling the race as, you know, it has 15 hours left. Uh, but Tory Hunter uh, with a big lead over Fran Emil Reyes right now, and I really like how these two juxtapose each other, actually. And obviously Tory Hunter will advance. He's the one seed for a reason. That guy, you know, might have been the best catcher and thrower of the baseball uh, that we saw in the 2000s. At least uh, in the Twins-Padres realm, uh, he was with the Twins, obviously, when uh, the Tin Caps slash Wizards were affiliated with the Twins. But, um, you know, he was incredible at playing the field, and he was that true baseball player. Daniel Reyes, on the other hand, he's not that great at that, but He's that new school of player. The guy was fourth in all of Major League Baseball in average exit velocity last year, which I think is almost the end-all, be-all of hitting metrics right now. Uh, Aaron Judge, number one. Uh, Miguel Sano, two. Nelson Cruz, three. And then Fran Mil Reyes is four. He finished above Christian Yelich. So that just shows how hard the guy hits the baseball. And looking at what he did for San Diego in Cleveland – the guy belted nearly 40 bombs last year, but obviously that's not enough to uh, dethrone the king of the Wizards tin caps right now. Jack, I, I like the next level breakdown there when it comes to exit velocity. Uh, this is actually a fun matchup in the sense that they're both really great personalities, guys who you can tell that they're having fun, or in the case of Torrey Hunter, he's the past tense. You could tell he was having fun when he played. Oh, yeah. Meal was as big of a fan favorite as any player who's come through Petco Park, now maybe not named Fernando Tatis Jr., over the last decade or so. Some people would point to his departure as how the, the team really suffered a demise over the last couple of months of the season after they had been in the wild card race before he was dealt. Then, yeah, you brought up the irony in terms of one being an, a, an amazing defender and, and the other now probably profiling as a DH going forward in the American League. Uh, let's see, just a couple other notes, um, and I never had a chance to see Torrey Hunter here in Fort Wayne back in 1994 when we were talking with uh, Mike Moss the other day. And as an aside, in case you missed that conversation, we're trying to have our Tin Caps podcast now on a more routine basis as we anticipate whenever the 2020 Tin Cap season will have a chance to start. And you can find the podcast, well, however you found it here in this case, but also we're on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, iHeart, even posting on TinCaps.com. So basically anywhere you can look for a podcast, uh, you'll find us plus the TinCap social media channels. According to Mike, Torrey Hunter, he played primarily left field, not center field. 
during his run in Fort Wayne, which is hard to believe. My one memory that really stands out from watching Torrey when he was in the big leagues was the 2002 MLB All-Star game when he robbed Barry Bonds uh, of a home run early in that game. And that was when then Bonds kind of lifted Hunter up as he was running off the field. Uh, one of the more fun moments from an All-Star game over the last uh, couple of decades at least. And with Torrey, it's cool how now Torrey Hunter Jr., who was a star in this state as a receiver for Notre Dame, but now focusing on his baseball career in the Angels organization. He played here in 2018. Had a good couple of games, went 5 for 11. Also had a, a highlight catch, not a home run robbing catch, but a, a diving catch. And he's a, a really classy young man himself. And so that was cool to get a chance to uh, to meet him. And I'll add, as far as Fran Mule goes, He's one of those guys who's a larger-than-life personality. Again, some would compare him to David Ortiz in terms of having that kind of charisma. And I still remember Fran Mill 2014 when he was just a teenager here initially. He was somewhat soft-spoken because he wasn't confident in his English. And then, again, you fast-forward last year, Petco Park, he's singing Whitney Houston on the video board in front of a, a full ballpark and just totally captivated everyone. And it was cool to see that maturation that he had from year one to year two in terms of his confidence um, speaking English. And by 2015, he was taking younger players like a Luis Urias, who's now with the Milwaukee Brewers, and serving as the translator for them, whereas in 2014, he needed other players to help him facilitate interviews in English. Uh, but Fran Miel, he was a really fun guy to be around even back then. That said, always felt like you know he had a lot more in the tank than what he put up numbers-wise during his time with the Tin Caps because you see him, he's bigger than everybody else. You figured he could be hitting 20-plus home runs back then in, in single A, and yet it, it didn't quite click for him. Though towards the end of that 2015 season, the hitting coach at the time, Lance Burkhart, he was really proud of the strides that Fran Miel was hitting in terms of not just being a dead pull hitter but hitting the ball all parts of the field and slowly but surely, you know, he started to build off of that. And then it was a couple of years ago when he had his massive breakthrough in AAA that eventually got him into the big leagues and now is one of the growing personalities in the game. Yeah, and John, he was, you know, he was one of those centerpieces of that huge deal uh, between San Diego, Cincinnati, and Cleveland that shifted Trevor Bauer. Taylor Trammell was another top prospect in baseball. Yafiel Puig, uh, who is, you know, on the all-personality team as well, but... Uh, I, I really like that story about him getting more comfortable with uh, his English speaking because that's something that's not just unique to Fran Mil Reyes in minor league baseball. That is something that is unique to minor league baseball. And a lot of these guys really figure out, um, you know, what it's going to be like dealing with uh, major league market media on a daily basis. And this is their training ground for a lot more than baseball. So it's really fun to hear that, uh, he maximized the opportunity uh, of getting better at a bunch of stuff, not just hitting baseballs a really long way because he's obviously gotten a lot better at that. Yeah, and we do encourage you to uh, kind of see the supplemental aspect of the uh, post on TinCaps.com. Thanks to our friends at Wayne TV. They've got a good retrospective on Torrey Hunter, including footage of a highlight reel catch that he made at the old Memorial Stadium in 1994. And then with Fran Meal, and you can see even more on the Tin Caps YouTube channel uh, highlights as he wound up having uh, several walk-off hits in 2015. But most memorably, he had a walk-off home run in May of 2015. It was on Lego night, so he's wearing a, a Lego-themed <laughs> jersey. 
and it was in like the thir- 12th or 13th inning, and he punctuated it as he was going down the third baseline before crossing home. He did what he later described as a Dominican dance. And so uh, if you're about letting the kids have fun, then you really will enjoy watching that. It really was one of the more exciting moments at Parkview Field during my time here. Yeah, I mean, I I had a chance to take a look at that video on the article, and that was uh, that's fun. And I love those Lego themed jerseys. I think if there's another bracket coming, I know that there were some rumblings about a, a jersey bracket, and I think that those Legos would uh, would be garnering a seed similar to what Kansas would be getting if there was an actual bracket this year. Yeah, and so it looks like things are going to be more awesome for Tory Hunter advancing in that matchup. You want to jump to the uh, to the eight nine one there? Just coincidentally, Latroy Hawkins, the nine seed, is a fan of Kansas basketball. Not quite sure of the uh, the reason for why he likes Jayhawks hoops, but he is a Kansas basketball fan. And despite being the lower seed, he has a, a commanding early lead over eight seeded Corey Koski. Corey Koski. This was like the all-nugget pairing uh, in terms of finding fun stuff on these guys. Corey Koski was born in Enola, Manitoba. Uh, so Koski is a member of the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, and he became the first Manitoba-born player to reach the big since the 1940s. So I thought that that was really interesting. Uh, and then Latroy Hawkins, switching gears to him, uh, a couple of interesting things with him. Uh, he obviously was a starter with Fort Wayne, and then he was a starter when he broke into the bigs in the 90s. So he made 99 appearances at the big league level in the 1990s. 98 of those 99 were starts. And then, before the 2000 season, he takes this huge switch. So from 2000 until 2015, which is when he hung it up, he made 943 appearances, and they all came as a reliever. So all 98 of his career starts came before Y2K happened. That's wild. And with Latroy, one thing that I actually dug up recently was my first year here in Fort Wayne. I had the idea during some downtime of trying to track down notable players from Fort Wayne's past. And I think Latroy was the first one who I was able to contact and had success with because if you, uh, you hear chatter around the game, they say Latroy not only was he one of the longest tenured players over the last couple of decades, but also a, as classy of a guy and as well-liked of a guy around the game, whether you're talking to players, media, fans, just a, a super stand-up guy. And so I was able to talk to Latroy on the phone, and I'll have to repost that audio from that conversation in which he talked about that 93 season specifically, which he still had vivid memories of because he felt like it was a, a career-changing set of circumstances. He had gotten off to a slow start to the season, had lost his spot in the rotation, but there was a, a key figure in the Twins front office who happened to see him pitch in relief in Fort Wayne, and after Latroy had a solid relief appearance that day, this front office executive went to the man manager for the Wizards there at the time and said, hey, Hawkins is back in the rotation. And then sure enough, things really soared for Hawk from there. Not only that 93 season, which went on to become the finest still to this day in the franchise's history, lowest ERA, most strikeouts, uh, shutouts, complete games, goes on. But then, uh, of course, a really successful big league career too. Oh yeah, he was uh, well, one of 16 guys in Major League history to appear in a thousand plus games. One of 16 pitchers. And uh, if you but, see him now and people joke with him, they, he looks like he could still you know, probably uh, pick up a few innings over the course of the next season. Yeah, why not? The Twins could use him because he's a special assistant uh, in the Twins organization, which 
uh, by the way, is packed with uh, former Wizards tin caps that uh, I'm sure we'll get to in a moment. But your 2020 uh, connection with Latroy Hawkins is he's actually the godfather of Super Bowl MVP Patrick Mahomes uh, because naturally he played with Pat Mahomes in the Twins organization. Yeah, and it's too bad that uh, Pat Mahomes, on his way up in the Minnesota system, he he wound up skipping over Fort Wayne, so we never had a chance to lay claim to him. But, yeah, Fort Wayne's connection to Patrick Mahomes of the Chiefs right now can it's be strong. through Troy Hawkins. Patrick Mahomes pretty much played for the Tin Caps. How so? So I'm just saying, uh, yes. I'm just saying by the connection. Yes, as did Kevin Bacon. Yeah. So Latroy, even though as the nine seed there, it looks like he'll have a chance to advance, and then you know we may have to wind up tagging Tory and Latroy on, on Twitter because those guys to this day are very close friends. And I wound up having the chance to eventually meet Latroy here at Parkview Field in 2016 because talk about some of those ties between the likes of Tory Hunter, Latroy Hawkins, and there's a, another former Wizard named Ben Jones who to this day actually lives in Fort Wayne. He's a scout with the Cincinnati Reds, so he's not always in Fort Wayne because he's out traveling as a pro scout. His daughter, who Latroy Hawkins is also a godfather of, she was having her high school graduation. So Latroy came from Texas, where he now lives in retirement, out here to Fort Wayne for that high school graduation. And that was taking place during a Tin Caps game. So he wasn't here for an actual game, but he came pregame just to get a, a tour of Parkview Fields. And again, it was really awesome to have a chance to catch up with him. Torrey Hunter Jr. attended that too. I, I think maybe Torrey Hunter that would have been he was still playing so Senior couldn't make it. They even had Matt Lawton who I'll talk about later uh, on FaceTime. So yeah those guys for decades now have been tight. How about that? Uh, but I, I think we're staring uh, a matchup of those two right in the eyes. So yeah, so a friendly. That'll certainly give us some Twitter traction. We'll see what happens when they go head to head and if the friendship uh, gets put aside for a day or, or, or at least. Oh, yeah. All right, which one do you want to go to next? Uh, are we doing Tatis Jr. and Oliver Perez? Why not, right? Yeah, let's go. Perfect. Uh, well, Fernando Tatis Jr., he's fresh in everybody's minds, I assume, uh, wearing the Tin Caps colors, but uh, he should be fresh in everybody's mind in the grand scheme of Major League Baseball, too, because this guy is, is ripping it up. Uh, ESPN put together a, a, a rank of baseball's top players for 2020, and uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., um, I mean, younger than, you know, probably the 99 other guys on this list, checks in at number 41 already. So the guy is an absolute freak of nature. And then Oliver Perez uh, has become, you know, the situational reliever savant. And he's got to figure it out this year with Major League Baseball implementing the new uh, three batter minimum where you got to finish the inning. Uh, these are going to be new grounds for him. Um, you know, 40 innings last year over 67 games. Uh, that that seems very niche. Yeah, he's on that short list of guys probably would be most impacted by the new rule where you have to face at least three batters or get through the end of a half inning. Yeah. Uh, in terms of Tatis, could say a lot, but I think what really says the most is that last year when asked who's the most exciting player in the big leagues right now, Mike Trout answered Fernando Tatis Jr. So when the best player in the game is saying that you're the most exciting player in the game, what more needs to be said? Yeah, I don't think much. I will nevertheless, since this is a podcast format, continue to talk. And so Tatis was the most (laughs) exciting player uh, and best, most skilled player uh, that I've seen during my time in minor league baseball. You know, that doesn't make me very uh, smart because it was just very apparent 
how good he was. You know, in retrospect, a funny note, though, on, on Tatis, while he set Fort Wayne's franchise record for home runs in a season and less than a full season at that because in the second half of August, he was called up to double A. But 2017, that was just a loaded year for prospects in the Midwest League, notably in the Eastern Division, where the Lansing Lugnuts, the Blue Jays affiliate, had Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette. And so both of those guys actually overshadowed Tatis, and it was Bichette and Guerrero who were invited to the Futures game, not Tatis. And it was Bichette who got the nod to start at shortstop in the Midwest League All-Star game with Tatis backing him up. And even though and this doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but I just find it you know, kind of humorous to, to look back on, Bichette got the nod for the end-of-season shortstop of the year award in the league, even though he didn't stay around as long as Tatis did. Uh, and it was hard to argue with Bichette. He hit like 370-something with a million doubles. But, and Bichette had a solid rookie rookie start with the Blue Jays, but I think Tatis still uh, as tantalizing as they come. Yeah, and what's fascinating is uh, that has been, you know, the Midwest League accolades are pretty emblematic of how their major league careers have gone so far, too. So Tatis, obviously, he had some fanfare and a lot of fanfare within the Padres organization, but uh, there was some, there was some rumblings around major league baseball. And then when he really started to excel, that's when people latched on and said, you know what? This guy's really, really excited. But before Bo Bichette, before Vladdy Jr. made their major league debuts, you already knew who they were. And at the snap of a finger, you were watching a blue Jays baseball game because you heard, Oh, Dante Bichette's kid. Oh, Vlad Guerrero's kid. Um, but I just don't think that Tatis burst onto the scene with that much fanfare, uh, but he has certainly overtaken, in my opinion, at least Bo Bichette. I still think Vladdy Jr. Uh, has, has a lot of wow to him, but so does Bo Bichette, too. Yeah, so part of the bias there, just that those two guys had dads who were, well, obviously Guerrero, a Hall of Fame player, I think Dante Bichette was an all-star at least once, whereas Fernando Tatis Sr. had a, an 11-year big league career but was never a star player, so that's part of that bias. But needless to say, time will tell. Who will wind up uh, having the most impact? And I think I would give the edge, though, to Tatis Jr. because of all the tools that he has. I mean, not to bring this conversation in another direction, but Vladimir Guerrero Jr., you still have to have your questions long-term defensively for yep. Tatis. You know, the power is just about the same level, and then the speed is uh, another thing. And for Bichette, you know, maybe doesn't project to have quite as much as much power. Nevertheless, we were, we were spoiled to see all those guys in action here just a few years ago. Going back to Oliver Perez, a couple of notes on him. Well, I never saw him pitch here in Fort Wayne. I did get to see him pitch in the 2016 NLCS for the Mets. That was one of the more heartbreaking days of uh, teenage John's life when the Mets lost to the Cardinals in Game 7. Despite a gutsy effort from Oliver Perez, Ali, who kept uh, the Mets in the game, and later on it was Yadier Molina who dashed the the hearts of Mets fans with his home run. Uh, I digress. In terms of his time here in Fort Wayne, though, Perez lived with a host family, Doug and Ava Rude, who still now to this day continue to take in Tin Caps players, primarily those from Latin America. Ava being a Spanish speaker herself really uh, becomes influential, like with Fran Mil Reyes as another example, in helping those guys acclimate here uh, and make that cultural transition. Yeah, that that's a great aspect of 
you know, the Tin Caps organization and just the city of Fort Wayne in general and with Oliver Perez, with Framel Reyes, too. And uh, Reyes' path to the big leagues was a little bit slower, uh, and by a little bit, I mean a lot of bit slower than Oliver Perez's because uh, he played for the Wizards in 2001, uh, and he made his major league debut in 2002. So he was on the fast track after he excelled in Fort Wayne. But uh, having that type of environment around, and it's an environment conducive for growth, uh, that's one of the amazing things about Fort Wayne uh, and the Fort Wayne Tin Caps organization. Finally, just to uh, to wrap that up, but off that point, one of the extra cool things about having Tatis here, and still what makes him really fun to follow now, again, like we were talking about with some guys previously, is his personality. And so on TinCaps.com, we've posted the video of when Tatis was part of the frozen Let It Go sing-along the Tin Caps had for a princess night here. And then also Wayne TV had a good carpool conversation with Tatis that included a trip over to Tropic Chicken, the uh, most popular Dominican restaurant here in the Summit City. So uh, that was a good chance to see the full personality on display for Tatis in his time here. Love it. Did they get James Corden involved? It was not a carpool karaoke, although we could have made it with Tatis where we could have had him sing Let It Go in the car with Glenn Marini, but instead those were two two separate videos, and we're still waiting for James Corden to uh, take advantage of the season ticket offer that we have for him here. Yeah, so it was more of a, it was more of a Jerry Seinfeld type thing? Yeah, the, the carpool conversations with Glenn uh, in years past, yes, it was more along the lines of the comedians in cars getting coffee uh, type of deal. Cool. Yeah, so Tatis, uh, you figure, is going to have no trouble getting past uh, Oliver Perez. So then he'll be awaiting the winner of the 5-12 matchup. In terms of college basketball, that's always a popular one. I think statistics yeah. show that's the most likely uh, upset among those lower seeds in, in the 5-12. In this case, the 5 seed being David Freeze and the 12 seed being Will Venable. And early indications are, though, that uh, David Freeze is going to take his World Series MVP award with him and move along. Yeah, you might say that we will see him tomorrow night, right? That's what, uh, yeah, that's what Joe Buck said. Right now, Joe Buck's busy instead commentating uh, little kids playing in their backyard during this pandemic. And, and marble races. And that was Jim Nance, right? Uh, well, Joe Buck did a marble race, too. Wow, so uh, these guys are staying busier than me. Oh, Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I find it interesting that the 512 involves uh, actually one of the best basketball players that Major League Baseball has seen in quite a while uh, in Will Venable of the 12. So Venable actually went to two NCAA tournaments with Princeton men's basketball. And uh, he and former uh, Padres teammate Chris Young are the only guys to be first team all Ivy League because Venable went to Princeton. Um, they were the only two guys to be first-team All-Ivy in both baseball and basketball. So that's that's your Padres uh, nugget of the night. Of course, Princeton having a, a proud basketball tradition there, and Chris Young never came through Fort Wayne, but Venable did. And then I know you you have the other good uh, note on Venable in terms of who his hitting coach was here in Fort Wayne. How about that? Max Venable. And uh it's not a coincidence. That is his father. And it was Will who had the fantastic season during his time here. He set a franchise record for RBIs in a season that was in place all the way until 2014 when Fernando Perez, who was one of those guys who then never did matriculate all the way up to the big leagues, uh, surpassed him. But for Venable, uh, you know, really steady career with the Padres, later traded to the Rangers. And you talk about that 
Princeton pedigree that he has and the acumen that he has for the game. Maybe not surprising that he so quickly transitioned into becoming a coach with one of the game's premier organizations in the Cubs. And after a stint as the first base coach, now he's in line to be the team's third base coach. Yeah, I mean, this guy, he's got it figured out. And by all accounts, he's just a class act through and through. And um, you know, you saw it in Fort Wayne, I'm sure, after doing my research. Um, you know, I wasn't here in person, but, uh, you know, by all accounts that I read, he was he was a stand-up guy. It probably, probably helps the dad is looking right over your shoulder during that. But, I mean, he was the Padres minor league player of the year uh, for, you know, setting that RBI record. And, you know, he he could do it all, too. And that basketball player athleticism showed out. I mean, he stole 18 bases uh, to couple 11 bombs in that 2006 season with Fort Wayne. Uh, but a guy that is a great athlete but works on the off-the-field stuff, too, those are the guys that land these coaching gigs. And, you know, he made Wrigley Field his office two years after he retired. So I'd say that that's a pretty nice trajectory. And yet, like you said, though, not going to stack up with uh, David Freeze. And I think Freeze, it's interesting in really what success in the spotlight can do for a player's career because he did have one all-star season on his resume in 2012 with the Cardinals. But, I mean, I think he's just as synonymous with postseason success as really anyone over the last uh, decade or so. Everybody knows David Freeze's name that follows baseball because – you know, the World Series, the baseball postseason, I think, uh, and obviously I'm pretty biased working in baseball right now, but I think the baseball postseason is the easiest to become romantic about and get uh, heavily invested in, even if you have no dog in the fight. But, um, you know, the World Series is a whole different animal. I think everybody knows what's going on in the World Series. And David Freeze is one of the names that's on the short list of when I say World Series, uh, who do you think of individually? And I think it's Freeze. Uh, recently, I think it's Madison Bumgarner. Obviously, for the older crowd, I think it's probably Reggie Jackson. Uh, but these are guys that made their money and made their careers in the postseason. Yeah, and Freeze, uh, though he never had quite memorable moments to match up with what he did with the Cardinals there was still a fixture in the postseason the last couple of years with the Dodgers in getting to a World Series. He did uh, announce last October that he is now retired. So yeah. David Freeze is, is a guy who can uh, can chill out here as uh, everyone else awaits what's going to go on with, with baseball this coming season. Yeah, and it wasn't just the World Series game six and seven that David Freeze showed out in. Um, I mean, I think people often forget uh, that not only was he the World Series MVP, but he was the MVP of the NLCS in 2011, too. So he put together a postseason to remember. And, you know, that didn't necessarily carry him through his career. He worked for everything he got. Uh, the very next year, he hit a couple ticks under 300. He hit 20 bombs. He had nearly 80 RBIs. He was an all-star. So this is a guy that was consistently good when he was playing baseball at the professional level and at the major league level for the last 11 years. And that included his time with the uh, Wizards, too, in the 53 games, summer after he was drafted, 299 average. Uh, Did you already say this one stat that's really, really absurd, the 44 RBIs? I did not. Uh, Yeah, so he had 44 RBIs, and we don't really worry too much about how many RBIs a guy had. But just juxtapose it with this. He also struck out 
only 44 times. So if you're able to drive in as many runs as times you strike out, that is, that's impressive. Yeah, and that just shows that you're really good at putting bat on baseball. And that is, you know, a lot of people would say a lost art right now. And a, a disciplined hitter, you can usually see in their season stat log uh, if they have more walks than strikeouts. Those are guys that, you know, you constantly want in your lineup because, you know, they're not going to shoot themselves in the foot by swinging at bad pitches. But if you produce runs as often as you go down on strikes, I mean, that's unbelievable. And that doesn't happen at the major league level. So for him to do that as as somebody in progress at the minor league level, uh, pretty pretty outstanding from him. So that takes care of the left side of our bracket. Let's uh, swing things over now to the other side of the bracket. We'll go up top, 215, two seed being Jake Peavy, 15 seed being Sean Burroughs. Yeah. Uh, Peavy is obviously a beast and he is uh he's as padre as you could possibly get uh, aside from mr tony gwynn right but uh, and trevor hoffman just and trevor hoffman of course and trevor hoffman was at parkview field what two years ago 2017 so three years ago uh but yeah pv pv was the guy when he was in san diego so he played seven and a half seasons with the padres before being dealt to the White Sox at the deadline, which, you know, is probably a 30-minute drive from where I'm at right now. Uh, but he was a two-time All-Star with the Padres. He won the NL Cy Young in 2007. And that 2007 season was otherworldly for him. So he led the National League in wins, ERA, and strikeouts, which gives him the pitching triple crown. How about this list with Jake Peavy? His 2000 season, his 2007 season, pardon, uh, has him on a list with Randy Johnson, Johan Santana, Justin Verlander, Clayton Kershaw as the only five guys to accomplish the pitching triple crown uh, since the turn of the millennium. Yeah, it's pretty elite company. Don't need to say much more beyond that. Uh, one thing to add from his legacy here in Fort Wayne, he's remembered as one of the real stand-up guys, and so what is his time here? in Fort Wayne with the Wizards uh, happened to coincide with when current team president Mike Nutter and a couple of others had recently joined the organization. And they remember Jake for, yeah, just being uh, not only fun to watch, but just a good good person too. I forget exactly when it was. It must have been shortly after his big league success. Jake, as a Christmas gift to the staff here in Fort Wayne that he had kept in touch with, sent the front office a framed jersey. There aren't too many guys who are going to keep in mind the uh, single-A team that they played for, you know, give back like that. Holy smokes, yeah. Uh, I think sign, story. too, for, for, you know, what that adds. Yeah, um, well, that adds a couple dollars on eBay, but I'm sure that nobody in the front office would uh, would be doing that. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's too nice a gesture to toss uh, on eBay. Um, but a, a personal story to add about Jake Peavy, uh, I was, I want to say I was, you know, 11 or 12 years old, and I was in Baltimore um, with my family, and we were there for, for an Orioles-White Sox series. And, you know, one of the things you do is, as a 12-year-old sports dork or 11-year-old sports dork is um, if you know what hotel the team is staying at, you sit, you sit your butt on the couch in the lobby, and you wait for famous people to walk out so you can get their autograph. 
Um, Besides uh, sports storks, that's also something that stalkers do. Yeah. But you you can get away with just being a cute kid. Yeah, I was 11. Um, You know, I think they probably looked at my dad differently, but, uh, (laughs) you know, the 11-year-old was just fine. But um, Jake Peavy walks out of the elevator, and he's heading. uh, They were at the Hilton in left field of Camden Yard, so no bus was out there waiting for him. So Peavy is making his way towards the exit. I get up, I meet him, I say, uh, I say, Mr. Peavy, will you sign this? And he puts out his hand and he goes, what's your name? I'm Jake. And, you know, that's one of those moments where you could either say, well, obviously your name's Jake. I know exactly who you are. But that's just somebody showing how genuine they are. And he took the time, he took five minutes to ask me about me and, um, you know, whatever little league level I was at at that time and what position I played and all that. Um, so that's a guy who made a positive imprint on literally everybody he came in contact with. That is really, really cool. What, you still have that autograph, do you know? Uh, I do believe, yes. I, I think it's uh, in my room here in the uh, Chicagoland area. Sweet. And so there's a lot on PV and then match up against Sean Burroughs. He's one of those guys who did have success uh, in the major leagues, but we also included him just because he did have as impressive of a season while here in Fort Wayne, too. He was the top Padres prospect back then in, in the late 90s, 1999. His season here in Fort Wayne hit 359. That still stands as a franchise record. Along the way, he had a, a franchise record for consecutive games with a hit until that was broken by Austin Allen in 2016. Allen had a hitting streak of 24 games. I think it was 23 for uh, Burroughs. Allen just clipped him. And Burroughs, as a postscript to what we have written up on TinCaps.com about his big league career, he wound up playing independent league baseball for like another 10 years or so almost until I think last year was his first year in retirement. How about that? Um, You know, this is a guy who has shown resiliency all throughout his career. And I, I bet the independent ball he was looking to, you know, get signed and see if he could knock on the door of a triple-A club and make his way back up to the show. Eventually, his last MLB action uh, came in 2012 with the Twins. Uh, so how about that? Uh, almost you know, turning back the clock and going from there. But um, he missed a, he missed several years. Uh, he was out of Major League Baseball uh, for the 2007, 08, 09, and 2010 season, just dealing with a ton of injuries. But he came back and he played nearly 80 games with the Arizona Diamondbacks in 2011. So this was a guy that uh, always wanted to play Major League Baseball. And it, it felt like more than anything else in the world, which is you know why you stick around for four years and you try and work your way back. And likely why he played independent league ball um, you know, for nearly 10 years after uh, he he hung it up in the major leagues. By the way, another record he had here, not just a hitting streak, but consecutive games reaching base, 56. I don't think anyone's really sniffed that, at least. Uh, With some DiMaggio-type stuff. Yeah, uh, at least of late during my time here, no one's come close to that. So, yeah, Sean Burroughs uh, felt like he deserved being included, even if his war technically didn't stack up with some of these other guys. But you anticipate Peavy's going to advance there in that pairing. Moving down to the 7-10, we got Trey Turner. He's one of those active rising stars in the game matched up against Michael Kadire, the 10 seed, who's part of that class of Twins era Wizards, who only recently retired in the last few years but had a, a really, really successful uh, lengthy career himself. Yeah, This is the closest race that we have right now, and uh, 
you know, that's probably a byproduct of the first round that Trey Turner's up 76% to 24%. But uh, these are two guys that you could make the argument either way. And Michael Kadire was somebody that I think everybody knew either from playing MVP baseball 2004 uh, when you were trying to be Joe Maurer and Justin Morneau. You said, wait, who's that other really good hitter on this team? And it turned out to be Michael Kadire. Uh, but he played nearly 130 games for the Wizards in 98 uh, after he was a top-10 selection in the MLB draft a year prior. Uh, and he hit uh, just over 275, and he led the team with 12 home runs, 81 RBIs. And uh, three years later, he was up with the big boys in Minnesota, and he stuck around. And the guy mashed baseball uh, for, for his entire career, and he did it as a young guy. He did it. Uh, in 2013 as a 35-year-old when he hit 331. Yeah, and he had that one year, as you wrote up online, where he led all of baseball in batting average, even if it was maybe a little inflated by playing in Colorado. Yeah. Got to be a key piece of the 2015 Mets team that made the World Series. Actually had a chance to meet him briefly in person there in September of 2015 when the Mets were playing in Cincinnati, and I made a trip over there. He had fond memories of his time here in Fort Wayne, although that was arguably a a really formative year for him as a player, not to repeat myself because I brought this up with Moz the other day, but in in 98, Kadire was a shortstop prospect. He set a franchise record for most errors in a season. And then not a coincidence going forward in the rest of his minor league and major league career, he found himself in every position on the field, including pitcher, with the exception of catcher and shortstop. Never went back to the position after 61 errors that he committed that season in 129 games. That's almost uh, an error every other game. And it's a record that still stands, although Franchi Cordero, another guy who has since overcome woes playing that position and was moved off of it to, to the outfield, in the outfield picture right now with the Padres. But, you know, that says a lot about how some of these guys have that mental fortitude to not only struggle, but just to flat-out fail in some aspects during their time here and yet persevere and go on to accomplish great things. You can teach a guy how to play the outfield, but you can't teach a guy how to play short or how to hit. Uh, and, you know, that's something that you hear from pretty much every coach. They'll say, I'll take hitters over defenders any day of the week. And, you know, I, we've seen it with guys like uh, Ben Revere um, and, and other defensive primary guys. You need to be the best on the planet at playing defense if you want to stick around and just be a defender. Uh, and even Ben Revere put it together for a little bit offensively. But Kedire, he always had it put together offensively. So they'll find a spot for him. Uh, and in the American League, there's a DH, which uh, is suiting to our 16 seed, Fran Reyes, right now. But I find that interesting that we've got a, you know, a, a shortstop prospect that didn't pan out as a shortstop going up against one of the top young shortstops in Major League Baseball right now in Trey Turner. Yeah, and for Kadir in Fort Wayne, a Midwest League All-Star, tied for third in the record book for most doubles in his season, also sixth uh, for most RBIs in a year. But Trey Turner didn't have the chance to wind up in any top 10 categories in Fort Wayne because he was here for less than half a season. But for my money, other than Fernando Tatis Jr., he was the most electric person who's come through Parkview Fields over the last handful of years. And here's something uh, that's Unbelievable and also, you know, can happen because in the Midwest League, half the teams do wind up making the playoffs. But 
this is for perspective. In 2014, early in the second half of the season, the Tin Caps were awful. They lost 13 consecutive games. 13 consecutive games. Literally the day that Trey Turner showed up, they finally won. Now, to be honest, he was not in the lineup, so you can't credit him for ending the losing streak. But, but he brought the good juju. Exactly. He just had the aura to him. They finally won that night and then had a, an improbable run to make the playoffs. Not only that, they had an upset in the first round to make the Eastern Division Championship Series. But talking to his teammates, I mean, they knew the answer. It was Trey Turner's presence, not only what he did himself, but the tone that he set because Trey was a guy who game in, game out, had the uniform dirty. And it's not just a cliche, but whether it was diving um, defensively at shortstop, the impact that he'd have on the base is always being aggressive, trying to take an extra base. He was just the classic all-out hustle kind of guy and was a joy to watch. Well, and he was always on base, too. I mean, the guy hit 370 in 46 games. And that was when he cooled off over the last uh, week or so because he finally was just exhausted since he uh, was coming off of his collegiate season at North Carolina State. Yeah, but he was great at NC State, and I think everybody knew that uh, he would be solid, and he was on the fast track to the bigs at some point. Um, and, you know, I think that uh, the Fort Wayne faithful were were fortunate to have, uh, you know, the Tin Caps be a spot uh, on his journey. Uh, of course, he was traded uh, to the Nationals organization um, just a year later, and then he made his debut a year later with the Nats. But, I mean, this guy, he's done it at, you know, the, the single-A level, he's done it at the major league level. Uh, his true rookie season, 2016, he hit 342. That's unbelievable. And he still didn't win the NL Rookie of the Year. Corey Seager did uh, the Dodgers shortstop, and he was actually unanimous. But I think we remember how good Corey Seager was in 2016. The 342 as a rookie in Major League Baseball, that's unheard of. And everyone's in debt to Trey going back to last October when he was battling through injury, so the, the numbers weren't there because he had like a really mangled finger. I think it was his thumb. That would be too graphic. But uh, in spite of that, he stole a base in One America, a free taco from Taco Bell. So how do you not vote for Trey Turner here, at least in round number one? Those guys you're always going to remember. Uh, I remember Gregor Blanco uh, <laughs> doing it for the Giants in 2015. 14. I think that that was the first year that they did steal a base, steal a taco. Soon we'll have it their own wing in uh, Cooperstown. Yeah. So that's Turner, the 7 against the 10, Kadire. Moving to the bottom part of that bracket. 6 seed, A.J. Pruszynski against the 11 seed, Matt Lawton. And uh, Jack, so for those who don't know you, I know you kind of alluded to this earlier, but grew up as a White Sox fan. So what kind of memories do you have of A.J. Pruszynski getting to see him, uh, I imagine, play in person? John, I was in the building when he got socked in the face by Michael Barrett. Oh. Uh, I was, not too close, I hope. No, not too close. I was sitting behind home plate, second level. So I had a bird's eye view of it all unfolding. And here is my best minor league story to date. Uh, and and I'm thinking it'll change uh, in Fort Wayne this year. But I was working with the Auburn Double Days last year, who are the short-season affiliate of the Washington Nationals. And I was in State College. They were playing the Spikes, who are the Cardinals affiliate. And I was sitting in the dugout. I 
three, four hours before first pitch with uh, a pitcher in the, uh, in the Nationals organization. Alex Troop is his name, and he is from the Chicagoland area as well. So we were talking about that, and a, a guy comes up, and he sits in between us in the dugout, and he just starts talking about Chicago with this pitcher. And he, I, I start to put two and two together, and I realize that he's talking about, um, you know, where he, where he would go out to dinner uh, and what his go-to breakfast spots were in Wrigleyville. And I was like, oh, you look so familiar. And I look at him, and I said, are you Michael Barrett? And he goes, yeah. And I said, I was at that game when you punched AJ in the face. And he takes off his sunglasses and goes, no way. How old were you? I said, eight years old. So me, um, this pitcher, and Michael Barrett had a conversation about him punching A.J. in the face uh, for about five minutes. That is very cool. Now, a far different note, I believe I was at a Mets-Expos game, Shea Stadium era, Expos era. I think I was sitting behind his parents. He was like a rookie then. Uh, really? So who, yeah, we, who knew what was in store. Yeah, nobody knew what was in store, I guess. But uh, AJ, I just remember him being the consummate White Sox, and everybody was going to back him up at all times. And I think that uh, everybody gets that idea from him, whether you watch a game and he's on it for Fox, or uh, if you do remember uh, AJ's White Sox career. So I'll always remember him as a White Sox. He did good things for for other guys, too, but... um, I mean, he came on, he immediately won a World Series, so he was the White Sox catcher. He was, you know, it was A.J. or bust. They won the World Series then in 2005. Prior to that, going back to his time in Fort Wayne, he was only 18, 19 years old. That has kind of become the norm nowadays where we see the top prospects that young, whether it's because they're right out of high school or international signees. Back then... In the mid-90s, that was not as typical. And despite being on the more youthful side, Pruszynski still you know, had a pretty productive uh, Tin Caps career. Batted 289 homers, 84 RBIs, and it was only a, a couple years later that he got the call up as a 21-year-old with twins and then played all the way up until the age of 39 through 2016. Going along the same lines as Kadire, you know, Pruszynski was someone who needed this level to – you know, go through some growing pains and, and make changes and improve for the better. According to our record book, still owns the franchise record for most passed balls in a season with 22 back in 1996. So, so uh, not to bury these guys, but just point out, just as fans come here, sometimes you, you'll see a guy make a mistake and be quick to be reactionary, write them off. Need to remember the big picture. And at the time, you know, Prasinski was a few years younger than the rest of the competition. And sure enough, he figured things out and went on to have success. And with that, you know, personality that he had as a player, not a big surprise that he's having some success right away. Media wise, you mentioned Fox broadcast. He's been involved with White Sox broadcasts on a fill-in basis too. And you figure he's going to continue to uh, excel down that path. And going up against Matt Lawton, he's another one from the early Twins era for the Wizards. I wound up uh, having a couple of all-star seasons as a big leaguer, one with the Twins, one later on with the Indians. I still remember waking up to the news 
when he was traded from the Indians to the Mets along with Roberto Alomar, thinking that Roberto Alomar was going to be someone who would bring me a lot of joy as a Mets fan. That never really happened. Uh, Matt Lawton, he was okay, though, and certainly was, uh, was a great athlete. With the Wizards back in that inaugural season of 1993, a 4-10 on-base percentage over the course of that season, walked more than he struck out. I mean, that is, again, just a, a rarity. And it, that was, and he was doing that in 93 before a lot of people were even putting such a great emphasis uh, on the ability to uh, to draw those free passes and to make contact with such consistency. Yeah, Moneyball was about the, uh, what, 2003 Oakland A's? And that, that was Billy Bean saying, can you get on base? Um, and I think he would have loved to have Matt Lawton in a uh, – in a Fort Wayne Wizards uniform if the Wizards were the uh, athletics affiliate at the time. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this guy, he was uh, he was a burner, and he had over 150 career stolen bases. Uh, he put bat on ball constantly. And uh, I'm sure that he brought you a, a tiny bit of joy as a Mets fan. I know that Mets fans can only experience so much joy at a certain time, uh, and then things just have to even out. Um, but... You know, I hope that I hope that he made teenage John a little bit happier. Can't say there's really any indelible moment for him in his time uh, with the Mets. I'd have to go back uh, later on and see what he what he did. Unfortunately for Matt, if you search for him on MLB's YouTube channel, the only clip that comes up is when he was part of a blooper and he had a ball that he uh, accidentally misplayed bounce off of his head. I think not only once but twice, leading to a Jermaine die inside the park home run. And uh, we owe Matt a better highlight clip. We'll have to continue searching. Yeah, absolutely. Was that when Jermaine Dye was with uh, Oakland or Chicago? I didn't actually. I didn't want to subject Matt to adding to the views of the video. I just, uh, I just saw from uh, the brief description of it, and did not take a moment to note who Dye was with then. That's nice of you. Yeah, so that's uh, Przinsky Lawton in the 6-11, and it looks like Przinsky will go on. But Lawton from that inaugural Wizards team in 93, and he was the first position player from that group to go on and make the major league. So uh, a part of Fort Wayne's franchise history forever. Finally, Corey Kluber, the three seed against Malik Smith, the 14 seed, Jack. Yeah, this uh, this is an interesting one. And I know that you were saying that a lot of people wanted Malik Smith to get more love, but... Well, it's a real contrast of personalities here. Kluber is nicknamed Klubot. He's uh, rather emotionless out there. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Versus Malik Smith, he's someone who on a recent spring training broadcast was mic'd up during the game for one of those all-access kind of broadcasts when they had Ken Griffey Jr. as the color commentator. And it was hilarious hearing Malik's smack talk with Ken Griffey, who was his favorite player when he was a kid himself, goes to show you, I guess they have a good relationship to Alex is now comfortable uh, busting the chops of uh, his childhood hero. But, yeah, and he was that way when he was here in Fort Wayne in 13 and 14. Yeah, he's certainly not scared of it. But uh, something that stands out to me, and I'm sure you'll get into uh, what his stolen base numbers mean in the grand scheme of things, but Malik Smith is maybe the most gifted base stealer in the game right now. And yes, he led Major League Baseball in stolen bases last year, but that's not the only reason why I say that. Uh, When you look at sprint speed from StatCast uh, in Major League Baseball, Malik Smith, you have to go all the way down to 23rd to find him. So take take that as it is. Uh, 
I'm just working off the numbers. You could say that the 23rd fastest guy in Major League Baseball is the one that stole the most bases. So he just has a keen eye for when pitchers are going to the plate, and he's got one of the best uh, base-running IQs that I think baseball has seen in a long time. And we saw him develop that from his first year to his second year here in Fort Wayne. In 2013, when he was here for the entirety of the season, although not always in the starting outfield picture for part of that year, wound up with 64 stolen bases, which was one shy of tying the franchise record. And he was caught, though, 16 times. Came back in 2014 and was even more aggressive. Stole 48 bases in just half of the season was called up at the All-Star break on the heels of being in the All-Star game, and not only that, but winning the West Michigan Whitecaps' lost art of the bunt competition. That year, the Whitecaps did not have a home run derby. (laughs) Minor League Baseball, never short on creativity. They did not have a home run derby. Instead, they had a bunting contest, and Malik's won it. And the prize was a trophy that had a bunt pan attached to it, like for a bunt cake. Yeah. Probably my greatest claim to fame in life would be that Malik's, that was a pre-game competition, so he won it, then had to get ready for the game itself and didn't know what to do with the trophy, so I took it and held on to it, and so I walked it through the crowd and then had to wake up early the next morning to drive him to the airport. And that was the last time that I saw Malik Smith, but I hope our paths cross again because we're talking about just a stand-up guy, tremendous personality, and glad that he has been able to uh, to stick in the big leagues, even if it's been with a few different teams, going from the Braves to the Rays to the Mariners. But uh, that speed is something that will hopefully keep him around, uh, especially as big league rosters expand. Yeah, and when your guys' pads cross again, I hope that he greets you with a bunt cake. I think that's the only. I'm not big. Uh, I'm not that big on the bunt. Thing. That would be that would be fitting, but I'm not that big of a bunt cake guy so i'd be okay with a cupcake as a as a token of appreciation for that early morning drive yeah that's fair so malik's though as the 14 seed going up against third seeded kluber he's got some fan support behind him but i mean Corey kluber i want to talk again about some of these guys who've gone on to go into rarefied air two al cy youngs to his name yeah this guy um i think he's sneaky because he has you know put together um, and we're into 2020 right now, but obviously everyone has yet to play a game in 2020. But he put together, for my money, probably the third best or fourth best um, 2010 as a pitcher. And the thing is, he's not on the short list of who comes to mind first. Because I think that it could be Verlander, Kershaw, um, Max Scherzer, there are other people that jump to mind before Kluber, but he does it like you alluded to, Klubot-esque, right? He does it without emotion. He was in a small market like Cleveland, but he was, I'd say, with Kershaw and Scherzer, I would probably put Corey Kluber's 2010s over Justin Verlander's 2010s. And the number to back that up is over his last five full seasons, Kluber has finished outside the top three in AL Cy Young voting just once. He's finished top 10 in each of his last five full seasons. So that's pure dominance from him in the league that does allow uh, the designated hitter. And now he'll be in a Texas Rangers uniform. Going back to that last year, though, of the Wizards in 2008, 
And he was with the team in the second half of the season, and so he was teammates with the Tin Caps' current manager, Anthony Contreras. They both came in there around the same time, actually. But for Kluber, he was sent down from High A Lake Elsinore. The Padres, uh, at that point, had initially had him jump Fort Wayne, started that season, his first full pro season, with the uh, storm a level above, but he scuffled there, was then, you know, frankly, demoted down here to Fort Wayne, but figured things out, yet never really put it all together uh, in the kind of fashion that he ultimately did in the Indians organization following a trade. But another example of a guy who, you know, had some adversity along the way to get to where he uh, has ultimately reached. Right. I think Fort Wayne might just be the good luck uh, tool for these guys. So I think that uh, Kluber certainly benefited uh, from his time, uh, and that's right before Parkview Field opened. That final season, and now one of 188 players to go from the 260 to the show. And again, we have just chronicled 16 of the most prolific. Conclude with just uh, another anecdote on Malik's, one of the more vibrant personalities who we've had here, and a good story to look up on him in terms of like part of the reason why he's become a better base stealer over the years and really improved his game all around, of course. He has a notebook, a marble notebook that he keeps writing down notes, like, for example, on a pitcher's pickoff move and his experiences against a pitcher while at the plate. And he keeps that marble notebook inspired by his father. He was a manager at a grocery store. God bless those people presently. Yeah. And his father kept a marble notebook, keeping notes on how he was stocking the store. And so that was uh, passed down to Malik's and played a role in his development story. So all those guys, it's great to see uh, good people uh, have uh, more than just uh, good success. Yeah, certainly. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that uh, I'm hoping that this bracket can uh, give both the essential employees when they're not they're not working and helping all of us and, and the non-essential people who are working from home like us, um, even though we, you know, may sometimes deem our work as essential. But uh, those that are working from home, we hope that this bracket and Malik Smith can uh, gain a little bit of ground, but I think uh, this one will go to Corey Kluber. But we're hoping that this bracket provides a little bit of entertainment uh, to everybody, and it's a nice break in the weekend, even though I have no idea what the weekend is and what it's weekend. Uh, well, John, it took me until 5 p.m. yesterday to realize it was Thursday. Yeah, it's all kind of running together now, and so day by day, you can head on to the Tin Caps Twitter channel to vote and keep tuned to uh, the bracket on social media to see who will advance. I guess it projects to be the quarterfinals on Saturday into Sunday and the semifinals Sunday into Monday and the finals Monday into Tuesday before we dub someone a champ. All right, right now, uh, let's call this stretch time in our podcast. In our seventh inning stretch at Parkview Field is presented by MHS, providing health insurance to Indiana residents Learn more at mhsindiana.com. And right now we're going to kind of change gears, and so it's a reminder that all pitching changes for the Tin Caps are brought to you by the law office of Harold Myers. He's been the proud sponsor of every Fort Wayne pitching change since 1993, going back to Latroy Hawkins' times. Whenever you need the answer to a legal question, the man with the answer is Harold Myers. Give him a call at 260-424-8. Two two three. Meanwhile, if you have a tooth problem, go where the tin caps go. That's Lima Road Family Dentistry. Doctors Hal Atkinson, Angie King, Maria Gorey, and their entire staff provide common sense, effective dentistry. They're located on Lima Road up near DuPont. Learn more at limaroaddentistry.com. 
Our podcast also made possible thanks to Precision Glass. When you need glass service in your home, your business, or even your vehicle, contact Precision Glass for fast professional glass services. Visit them online at precisionglassfw.com. And as we try to stay upbeat here, looking ahead to better days, don't forget to book your next birthday party at Parkview Fields. Birthday packages include tickets to the game, a birthday cake from Meyer. Thanks again to everyone working hard at Meyer right now, and the opportunity to throw out a first pitch, plus more. Get details at tincaps.com. And lastly for right now, brought to you in part by Parkview First Care Walk-In Clinics, convenient quality care right here at First Care. Thank you to everyone over at Parkview Health for the work that they are doing right now, as well as everyone else in the healthcare industry. All right, Jackal, I don't want to go Bill Simmons-esque length here and go multiple hours, but did bring up earlier how MILP.TV now has all 2019 archived games available for free. Don't need to sign up uh, or need to pay. Just need a MILB.com account to watch. So 2019 was actually the first year that Tin Caps games at Parkview Field were available on MILB.TV. Previously, they were exclusive on Comcast Network 81. Going forward, you can find them in both spots. And the majority of the Tin Caps road games last year were available on MILB.TV too. So depending on how long this goes, you can uh, watch watch more than your fill of uh, minor league baseball and going to get access not only to the Tin Caps games, but 6,500 plus games, 18,000 hours of MILB content that is uh, that is crazy. That'll take you through the quarantine for sure. If you go to tincaps.com, we've got a rundown of some of the more notable games. Put 15 on the list. We won't go through all of them right now. And they're not ranked, but if we were to rank them, number one would be July 18th, a night special in multiple ways. It was the unofficial Dan Lebitard show at Stu Gott's night. That was, uh, that was wild in itself. And then it also happened to be the largest comeback in Parkview Field history as the Tin Caps overcame an 11-2 deficit to rally for an improbable 12-11 victory over the Peoria Chiefs. Dan Lebatard show executive producer Mike Ryan Ruiz was present on site. He joined the broadcast and he was on air in the bottom of the fifth inning when the rally started. So that was just an unforgettable night. Yeah, I from everything that I've heard from from you, from people around the Tin Caps organization, uh, this is um, this is a game that I'm certainly going to go back and watch. Uh, that is that's number one on the list, and the number two I think is June 26th against South Bend. Um, Joey Cantillo, I've heard nothing but great things about him as a prospect in the Padres organization, and uh, he's debuting in the top ten this year and in, in the Padres farm system. I think MLB.com has him right at number ten, but. Uh, Joey Cantillo, he took a no-hitter into the seventh inning, um, and that was all in all a 9-1 tin caps win on June 26th. So I think uh, July 18 and June 26th are, are one and two on my list. Yes, several really impressive Joey Cantillo performances, including one on July 22nd, which uh, you may want to circle too because that was a night that had so much going on. There was a military homecoming surprise. Outfielder Dwanye Williams-Sutton was hit by a pitch four times, tying a minor league baseball record. And we had 
Hoosier native and legendary hockey broadcaster Doc Emmerich in the house, and he even joined our broadcast for an inning. And cool thing about that was that Doc, I mean, maybe you wouldn't be surprised to hear this, as the consummate professional, he did prep before coming to the ballpark. And so before the game started, we were planning to have him on. I think he wound up coming in second or third inning. But he was asking me questions about, hey, why so-and-so not in the lineup, even though they've got the best batting average on the team and he knew the bio on Joey Cantillo and so there's a great clip of of Doc Emmerich just gushing about Joey Cantillo and uh, rightfully so because he tied his career high with 10 strikeouts that night in a 10 caps win but that was you know, personal highlight for me, obviously, as someone who uh, admires the work of Doc Emmerich and great that he has the Fort Wayne connection. It was actually his first Tin Caps game, even though he's been a frequent visitor to the Comets on the hockey side. And it was just this past, oh my gosh, it was earlier this month. It feels like an eternity ago. It was only a few weeks ago that Doc was inducted into the Comets Hall of Fame as a disciple of their legendary broadcaster, the late Bob Chase. Some walk-off wins, though, to catch here along the way. Some uh, impressive pitching performances from another Padres prospect in Ryan Weathers. And kind of one to to wet the beak as we look ahead to whenever we get baseball back here. C.J. Abrams, who is the sixth overall pick in last year's draft, only got up here to play in a couple of games for the Tin Caps in August. But he impressed with a single, a double, and a steal of third base on August 7th in a 10-caps win. You know, the asterisk, though, is that when he stole third base, he bruised his shoulder, and it wasn't that serious of an injury, but since he is such a prized uh, commodity, the Padres wound up shutting him down for uh, a few weeks, and then it wasn't really worth him coming back for the rest of the 10 cap season. But can't say for certain, but we hope to uh, see C.J. here when baseball's back at Parkview Fields. Yeah, we're certainly hoping to see C.J. Abrams, and, and we were talking about this, uh, about a week ago on this podcast, but uh, that guy might be the fastest baseball player in all of minor league baseball. And when he does, not if, but when he does get to the major league level, he'll probably take that title too. So not only is he a great defender and he is unbelievable with the bat in his hand, but the dude flies like nobody else in any system in America. Yeah, right now, if you check out season previews from Baseball America about top prospects overall or specific uh, in terms of the speed category, CJ's name right there towards the top of those lists. And, you know, as you heard about in our conversation earlier, things that we've been spoiled with in the abundance of talent coming through Fort Wayne over the years, especially over the last decade, speed and shortstops, Turner, Tatis, as far as speed, Smith, and now another in C.J. Abrams. So we do look ahead to that. In the meantime, though, stuck here during this pandemic. And uh, Jack, just curious, now as fans have the opportunity to perhaps binge on MILB.TV, but uh, what have you been uh, keeping busy with? Uh, that's a good question. I guess just uh, hoping that minor league baseball returns soon. Um, so that can fill uh, you know twelve hours of your day, but what are you doing with the rest? Uh, sleeping the other twelve hours. Um, watching a decent amount of movies. I just rewatched Oh Brother Where Art Thou last night, but uh, I'm I'm catching up on a lot of my uh, you know favorite directors. So Wes Anderson. I just rewatched Grand Budapest Hotel the other night. Uh, great flick. But been going on walks. I've been uh, helping out around the house. And I've really just been soaking in this opportunity to hang out with my family because, 
it's been four years since I've been home consistently, and uh, you know I'll be I'll be three hours away this summer once baseball season gets going. Uh, but I don't know when the next time I have uh, a long time with my family like this will be. So, you know there are, there are silver linings to this. And there are things that you can do, but it's also cool to just put your feet up for a little bit. So I'm taking this time to put my feet up and and hang out with my family. And uh, this is getting me even more excited for Tin Caps baseball to start. But what have you been doing? Well, just uh, to respond to you, glad to hear that you're taking advantage of spending that time with your loved ones. And right now this is... um audio only so i don't have uh, a visual to see whether or not there was a wink or anything when you said you were doing some household chores but uh, i'll take your word for it and also glad to hear that your your viewing experience right now is a little bit more sophisticated than watching that tiger king series on, on netflix my both my mom and my dad today said when are we going to watch tiger king? yeah that might be that might be on the uh on the radar for me this this weekend yeah in the meantime i've been personally trying to stay stay busy myself uh you know still still working uh, tin caps wise but and some of this newfound time you know spending it with my girlfriend here in fort wayne and been watching parks and rec hadn't seen that one before but as a big fan of the office and aziz ansari enjoying parks and rec now i've gotten into a, a puzzle i've also uh purchased uh some board games some card games so uh yeah trying to make sure not to be looking at a screen uh too much mine uh, um, is an avid puzzler uh and she's up to the 2000 piece puzzle so whoa I'm struggling on the 1,000 right now. Yeah, so I I try to look at the 1,000, and it just kind of hurts my eyes after about 20 minutes. But um, I actually just went into the depths of uh, of her puzzle closet, and I found a, a Bob Ross-themed puzzle that's 300 pieces. So that sounds like uh, my Saturday morning and afternoon tomorrow. Yeah, not that it would be any easier, but I kind of probably could have used a puzzle that would inspire me like – you know, a landscape of uh, Petco Park. We don't have one of Parkview Field. We know of a ballpark, of a stadium. Instead, uh, we're doing some, you know, quaint little scene in Paris. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it uh, doesn't really. It's not Fort Wayne. Nope. Um, hey, one thing I did notice we did have earlier in the week, we had our, our marketing staff had one of those Zoom sessions where we were video conferencing. It seems like you have shaven since you've been home, but, but notably or noticeably, not above the lip. So uh, how's the mustache coming in? Uh, I'm trying to turn that into my own viral challenge on Instagram, the quarantine mustache challenge. So I was uh, I was tagged in a, a push-up challenge earlier this week. Yeah, good form. Not surprised from a black belt. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but, you know, I, I made sure to do that, but I also needed to up the, up the ante a little bit. So... Um, I decided that no one's really going to judge me, so I went with a quarantine mustache. It's coming off before I come in the office next. Uh, but well, you're primarily going to be on radio here, so uh, you know, d- do you? Yeah, it's the digital stuff, man. I I can't be doing that. But uh, and and please don't tempt me. But um, I uh, something that I'm sure a lot more people will think about in in a week or two. I actually had my brother cut my hair at home today. So uh, I give him probably a, a C, C minus for his efforts. But the good news is I can wear a hat and uh, everything will go back to normal in about two weeks. 
Well, shoot, he's one of the only barbers in business right now. And as a, an aside, do encourage you if you've got someone uh, who cuts your hair, whether at a barber shop or a salon, you know, maybe figure out a way to pay them in advance because that's one of the uh, some of the people right now hurting. But um, we want to be back to the office as soon as we can be. But I'm not sure if uh, it sounds like you're you're groomed for uh, being uh, being seen by others. Yeah, um, I will. Uh, I'll figure it out. And I'll be wearing a uh, I'll be wearing a baseball hat. I'll I'll get a tin caps hat online, and hopefully it gets shipped out. So it's uh, at my uh, house or or apartment in Fort Wayne before I get back and head into the office. Yeah, you can do that uh, at tincaps.com. Special uh, deal right now: free shipping for uh, for certain purchases. Again, you can find that at tincaps.com and keep up with the team with this bracket challenge and, and other content coming your way on the team's social media channels, primarily Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We could keep going because what else are we going to, to go watch uh, Tiger King? But I, I think we probably should have put a bow on this because, yeah, there's there's Tiger King. and there There's puzzles to do. Yes, absolutely. Got anything else for us, Jack? I don't think so. Everybody stay safe. Uh, wash your hands. Try not to touch your face. Uh, and, and do your part. Stay inside. And I know that you know, we've we've had those conversations uh, before, and it and it may feel ho hum right now. And you're saying, oh goodness, they're they're talking about it again. But you know, we we're in uh, we're in uncharted waters right now, and everybody just needs to stay safe. And uh, you know, we hope to see you at Parkview Field as soon as possible. Yep, and if uh, this was a, a baseball game broadcast right now, hopefully we'd be uh, maybe in like the sixth inning or so. But uh, we'll call it a call it a wrap here. And uh, hello to our friends over at Z89 Radio, WJPZ in, in Syracuse, still on the air. But uh, before we go, one reminder that this podcast has been made possible thanks in part to our friends at the Hyatt Place Fort Wayne, located on West Washington Center Road, just off I-69, a central location close to everything you want to see and do in Fort Wayne, book your next day at Hyatt.com. All right, well, we'll be coming to you soon with uh, whatever developments there are or otherwise just, you know, talking baseball because that's a a good thing to to look forward to. We do so much appreciate you tuning in to us here for this edition of our Tin Caps Inside the Park podcast. And until next time, for Jack McMullen, I'm John Nolan. Thanks for listening and stay safe. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.